Welcome to the Two Mutts Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Marshall. <laughs> Rick White, here's Radulov with a kiss. Scores! One timer, scores! Perry scores! Corey Perry! Here's Drysdale again, turns, shoots, scores! Austin Matthews in shoots, Austin Matthews! Schultz ahead, Crosby onside, behind the fence towards the net, he scores! Back across, fired, score! Crosby again! Tames with a shot, he scores! Tames shoves it front, they score! Jonathan Tames ties it! Look at that! Are you watching this? What a brilliant piece of work from Connor McDavid! Wow. We'd like to welcome back Craig Button. He is a TSN hockey analyst and chief of scouting for TSN. Buttons, how's it going? It's going good. It's going really good. You know, uh, you know, the spring is in the air. Summer looks like it's around the corner and hopefully uh, uh, we can uh, be back to doing the things with the people we love and the people we like and, you know, in, in interaction, social interactions to a greater extent. So yeah. we got to do our part uh, first and foremost to make sure that we're uh, get this pandemic and virus under control. But you know, I'm a glass half full guy, so yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic that we're on the right track, even though, you know, we're impatient now and I get that we're impatient, but uh, I really believe we're on the right track. Yeah, no, same here. I, I concur and I agree to that. So, so you were in Texas there taking care of the U18s and how, so how did that go? Obviously Canada wins, but uh, overall thoughts of the tournament and any standouts uh, that, that you went in and, you know, knew, but, you know, kind of gave you a little bit more idea of, of a player-wise, if you have any. I'll start with the tournament. So uh, uh, the Dallas Stars, USA Hockey, the IIHF did a tremendous job. You know, they really did. I mean, they had real good, strong protocols in place that, uh, you know, made sure that they could minimize the risk to the greatest extent possible. Zero positive tests for the participants. Is, and that was, that was the key, uh, uh, key outcome. Number two, uh, you know, I, I felt, you know, you go down to a different environment. Uh, I, I felt that it was uh, every people were masking, people were physical distancing, you know, people were respectful, there was no recklessness. And, you know, we may hear a lot of things about what's going on in the United States, but really, really, uh, what, what I would call orderly and respectful. Uh, number three, uh, you know, the opportunity for the players to participate in a high level tournament, a best on best. And it wasn't just best on best. It was the best of the best. And I'll get into that in a minute. So but, you know, to watch the players and the joy that they had, and you know, they've gone they've gone without as have hundreds of thousands, millions of others, and, and you feel, so uh, to see them being able to, to, to enjoy the competition in the plane, it, it was really something. When Canada won the, the gold medal and they were parading around the trophy, I, I, I just said to myself, enjoy it for every moment you have. And if it takes you 45 minutes to, to get to your team picture, because we were waiting for it at TSN, I don't care. Yeah. They, they were truly enjoying that moment and, and, and deservedly so. As for the players, I'm lucky because I've seen I've seen all these players uh, previously that were at the tournament, you know, U17, Midget, you know, uh, you know, this year in, in, in the course of uh, different uh, uh, leagues and whatnot. So uh, it, it's not so much about did anybody surprise me with respect to their capabilities. 
I, I think what was pleasantly uh, surprising was how level the play was by so many individual players who haven't had the opportunity to compete, you know, consistently over a period of time. Like Benjamin Goudreau, the goaltender for Canada, he, he hadn't played a meaningful game since March of 2020. And, you know, you watch him, you look back and you see what his capabilities are, his talents, you watch the progress. And he steps into the tournament. And not only was, uh, you know, him having to get back into the rhythm of, of high-end competition, it's the highest level for him at his age. <laughs> yeah. And so to watch him perform and get better and then to, to go back and, and look at some of the things that you looked at that you felt were developmental, you go, that was impressive. For a goaltender, that was impressive for me. I mean, Shane Wright is, is, a, is, a, is a superstar. Connor Bedard is a, is, a, is a phenomenal young player. You know, we saw what Connor was doing in the Western Hockey League. Shane didn't have the opportunity, but it, it kind of shows you, oh, the superstars, maybe, maybe it's kind of scary how maybe you're not giving them enough credit because they missed that amount of time. And I mean, he, he was at the World Junior Camp in Red Deer, but that was after the first week, it, it got stopped, uh, you know, in, in a significant way. You know, how good, he, how good would he have been if he'd been playing the last year, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, but, but to watch the players and see where they're at, like nobody can make up for the 13 months that have, that, that have passed, you know, with the intermittent play, playing at different levels, playing in Europe, not, you know, so to watch the players, you know, compete and, and then to be able to watch them against one another, it, it was really, it was really, really, really fun to watch those players compete and play. And obviously when you're watching top young players, it's the future of the NHL. It, it's exciting. Yeah, no, it is. So where would you compare this tournament compared to the world juniors because i had this debate where i was working and we were talking that before we jumped on and a lot of guys i work with think that this tournament is almost better than the world juniors because you have all these kids there where at the world juniors you're going to have some kids that you think you would be there but the nhl team is going to take them so would you compare their are the even or is each tournament is one tournament better than the other for for high-end skill wise talent wise well, here's how I would say is, is how I would put it. And, and like, I'm going to say this about Team Canada. Team Canada was missing, like, in my view, five players that are, in my view, certain first round draft picks. Okay, so they had the three young players from Quebec, Zachary Laharu, Zachary Bolduc, and Zach Dean, who, because of their league, you know, they were playing a championship schedule, so they were not released. Then you had Carson Lambos, who plays in Winnipeg, who ended up having a, a, an ailment and couldn't participate. He played a couple of games in the bubble in Regina. Then you had Cole Sillinger, who wasn't able to participate. That, that's five players. Yeah. That, that, like You think about how good this Team Canada group was. <laughs> Add those five players, oh boy, it might have it it been even you know, more lopsided in, 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 in some of the games. But that being said, the U18 tournament goes through this every year, not so much with the USA or the European team, but the Canadian kids go through it because the CHL is playing. Yeah. And so, you know, they moved the tournament back 10 days, a couple of years back. And so now that gives a chance for more Canadian players to, to suit up for team Canada, but the depth of Canada keeps shining through again and again and again. So the, the U18 has its own challenges because of play and, and whatnot. Injuries are out. Let's take injuries out of it. The NHL, because of players, you know, playing for their respective NHL teams. 
how I would say the U18 is a glimpse and a real strong glimpse of what the future of the NHL is, the stars of tomorrow. Yeah. The world junior is, okay, these guys that have already been drafted, these first-round picks, these players that are performing really well, how are they performing now? What's their progression like? So I think the, the one is a, is, is a glimpse into the future. The, the world junior is a glimpse into, okay, how's that future progressing? <laughs> yeah. So I think that they're both high-end competitions and, and a little bit different in that regard. But I think that that's every fan wants to know how's the guy we drafted playing at the World Junior, whereas the U18 is. Do we have a chance at that guy? Oh boy, that would be fun. And you're talking about a bigger group of players about who your team could potentially draft. Yeah, correct. That's good. So when I say na- the name Connor Bernard, what comes to mind for you, Craig? Like what what stands out to you? out of his toolbox his skill skill set his talent wise uh i would say three words no shrinking violet you know i could talk about his skills we know how skilled he is yeah he had never ever played at this level of competition ever he's 15 years old turned 16 in july and he stepped on that stage and you know there's going to be a feeling out process you're going to adapt a little bit and you watch him just play and you watch him play with confidence. And then, you know, he had never, the, the fourth game they had played, Canada played four games in five days. You, you could see that he was fatigued yeah, mentally and physically. And then he has the day off, good day of rest. And he comes back, huh, five points in the quarterfinal, hat trick in the semifinal, and then the brilliant goal and the brilliant play in, in the gold medal game no shrinking violet you know the 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 challenges got greater and greater and greater and and he stayed above those challenges yeah it's brilliant it's brilliant and you know and uh, the one goal he scored the the second goal he scored against sweden uh to make it 3-1 it was right at the beginning of the third period he picked that top corner and he went to the corner i don't know if you recall where he's nodding his head he's like it, it was like I know, that. you know, <laughs> players think they can, and then they start to see that they can, and then they know they can. Mm-hmm. Connor Bedard at that point in the corner knew, yeah. and guess what? Yeah. Everybody else knew at that point in time as well. Yeah, correct. Yeah, no, it's very well said. Well, when I say the name Shane Wright, the same, is it the same thing that comes to you, comes to mind there? Is there, because this guy's unreal in my mind, like oh. you've got the bigger frame too, which definitely helps out, but you know, what comes to mind when I say the name Shane Wright? Complete. Like yeah. he's complete. I compare him to Patrice Bergeron. So I use this term. You've heard me use this term before, Josh. And I, the term I use is, you know, when I'm trying to compare, I don't try to compare players. I try to compare uh, players to a type of uh, a game that a certain player plays. So I've always, so, so I always try to measure it and go, well, you know, he's got a lower case this player type game, right? And so you're just trying to say, hey, listen, this is the type of game he has, but he's a lowercase type player, which means, you know, that's the, let's be careful about how we we view that player. So I've compared the style of play, the type of player uh, that uh, Shane Wright plays like to Patrice Bergeron. But here's the kicker. I'm calling Shane Wright an uppercase um, Patrice Bergeron. Nice. <laughs> Patrice Bergeron is going to the Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And I think I think Shane Wright is a superstar. I think that he is. If he was in this year's draft, 
there's no question who would be the first overall pick. Yeah. Like he, he would have, he would have no equal in this year's draft. None. And there's some really good players in this draft. I think that he could play in the NHL next year. That's how good he is wow. mentally, physically, skill wise. I think he could play as a 17 year old in the league next year. Yeah. And I, I'm never one to get ahead of myself, but yeah. I think he's that good. And, you know, when you watch a player like him play and you watch how he commands the game at every single area it is beyond i've watched him play since he was 14 and he's he's a player and like all great players you know superstar players they always show you a little bit more they might show you a lot more at some point in time but they're always showing you another aspect of their game and to me i mean his brilliance is is just it's not astounding it's complete he's going to be a front and center player for team Canada at the world junior tournament in edmonton this year he's not going to be a young player on the team he is going to be a front and center player that's awesome i I can't wait to see it you know yeah oh yeah he's all like i mean and he's got a subtlety he doesn't have this flash and dash up and down the ice like Bergeron. That's why I compare him to Bergeron. Yeah. You know, Connor McDavid is unique. Connor Bedard is unique. And Sidney Crosby is unique. And Matthews, they're all different. But what they all are is brilliant. And they're brilliant in their own way. And that's what Shane Wright uh, is. And you, you, you just sit there and you kind of go, wow, like that is that, that is something special. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Definitely is for sure. So we'll shift gears to the NHL. Um, saw you last night on uh, Sports, Sports <laughs> Center with uh, Jay Onright, and, which is a great guy too, as we all know. So yeah, he is. And, uh, it was nice to see you back on TV, um, you know, back home and everything. So with... Uh, with the news with Jack Eichel, him coming out, him, you know, wanting the surgery, the, you know, obviously the team is not, you kind of give him the okay for that. And you hit on something that I want to hit on with you is if Jack Eichel gets traded, you think the Calgary Flames, like you obviously mentioned the Ottawa Senators, but the Calgary Flames are a team too. To me, the Calgary Flames were the biggest disappointment in the NHL this year, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that, but. I do. Yeah. Okay. So with them being the dis- biggest disappointment, what would that package look like if we if Brad Tree Living does pull the trigger to try to get Jack Eichel hit to, to you know to Calgary? So so the first thing that I would say is is and and I was in Dallas when we went through something very similar. You know, Joe Newendike became available. Joe Newendike became available because of a of a of a contract dispute, and he had decided that he didn't want to play in in Calgary any longer, and he and he sat out, and. You know, so we're looking at it and we're saying, we got Mike Madonna. We, we, we need to do him. We need to help Mike. So we, we looked at it and said, we have to do everything we can and consider every possibility to get Joe Newendike. Al Coates did a magnificent job because he didn't focus on quantity. He focused on quality. Yep. And a lot of teams at that time were focused on, we'll give you this, 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 and that. Al was very clear with us that, if you want to be serious about Newendike, it's going to take Iginla. Did that make us? Did that make us kind of, uh, you know, get the hair on our neck standing up a little bit when he was at? Yeah. Did we try to work around it? Yeah. Did Al? Did Did Al waver? Never. <laughs> so, so at the, at the end of it, as as our discussions were going on, like we said, okay, we got this excellent group of young players. We got we got stars. We got Madonna superstar. You know. When are we ever going to have an opportunity to do this again? 
So as we proceeded and, and we ended up getting Mike and or, or Joe and it was perfect for us. Yeah. And they, and Calgary got Jerome Iginla. The Calgary Flames have nobody like Jack Eichel. They don't have a superstar. So when you ask me what the package is, the package is what is it going to take to get that player? Like the Buffalo Sabres, it's not just what you're willing to give up. Everybody's the same. You want to give up less than more. Yeah. What do the Buffalo Sabres need? And can you meet their expectations to be able to not only make a trade where you can acquire a superstar, that where they can feel good about making a trade that will satisfy their needs and their requirements? Yes. That's, that, that's the way you got to go. Like, you know, like I hear all that, all pieces, pieces, pieces. No. Quality, quality, quality is what you need. Yeah. I think Calgary has quality. I think Calgary has a lot of quality. I don't know exactly how you put the put a put it together, but they have quality to offer the Buffalo Sabres that can help their team right now. And you know, and and say, hey, listen, we've improved our team. It's a situation we didn't want. Listen, when when Joe Newendike got traded, there was a lot of who's Jerome I get one. The brilliance of, of of the timing of that trade for the Calgary Flames was that Jerome went and started at the World Junior Tournament and everybody quickly went from Jerome who to Jerome yay yes. because they knew how good he was. So that's part of what you got to, like Kevin Adams and the Buffalo Sabres are going to have to do. Do I think the Calgary Flames have the ability uh, to satisfy the Buffalo Sabres needs? Absolutely, I do. And yep. do I think when I look at the Edmonton Oilers and the Vancouver Canucks and teams in the West, you know, that the Flames are going to have to compete with? Good luck competing with uh, the Edmonton Oilers without a superstar up the middle of the ice. No. Good it, luck. You're yeah. never going to be able to. It's not going to happen. And it's just that. And I, when I look at that trade, when you said that last night and I'm watching it and, you know, thinking this morning, I think if that trade does happen, I also for some reason think that's a bigger trade too. Like there might be some defense yeah. involved too, you know, because they got some, you know, because I just don't think Jack Eichel is going to play with the Buffalo Sabres next year. And I, and I, I question I agree. Sam, Sam Reinhardt's going to be in that same category too. It's just, it hasn't gone well there, but I think Kevin Adams has, you know, the right options to make. And I think Calgary has, you know, the mix to get back players wise, you know, those are for, you know, tree living and Adams to probably go and figure that out. But, you know, it definitely looks like to me that, 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 that chapter is, it's definitely closing in Buffalo. So, I agree, and I would go back to the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and it was interesting when Ryan O'Reilly got traded, and I heard a lot about, look at all the pieces the Buffalo Sabres got. Yeah, they didn't get quality. No. And the St. Louis Blues got quality player, and I am sure Doug Armstrong was ready to throw in even more pieces, maybe even a 500-piece puzzle. Like, you know, (laughs) it's not about pieces. You know, I read all the time, oh, they're going to need this. No, 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 quality. Quality is always the number one priority that you need to get. Not pieces, not quantity, quality. The the Buffalo Sabres did not get quality for Ryan O'Reilly. They need to get quality. And it could be one player. It could be one player. It doesn't have to be this, 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 and that. Yeah, no, exactly. So what do you think went wrong in Calgary? When you look at it from start to finish, you know, they had the coaching change. Um, do you think it was just trying to not, you know, some like, you know, you hear Daryl Sutter kind of say that, you know, maybe they wanted to ease the minutes off for Giordano and some of the younger defensemen didn't take the step that we all thought they were. I thought Noah Hannafin had a great year, so I'll agree 
you know, in my opinion, I thought he did. So we're, we're, when you look at the Calgary Flames season overall, where, where do you think went, went wrong for them and why they were a disappointment this year? Well, w- one thing that we all have to be realistic with, and certainly teams, coaches, and management have to be cognizant of it too, just because you want a young player to take the next step doesn't mean he's ready to take the next step. So I always think like, okay, yeah, you want somebody to take the next, well, maybe they weren't ready to take the next step. And, and, and that happens lots uh, in, in professional sports. I thought the Calgary Flames made some really good acquisitions in the offseason. Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom, uh, you know, specifically that, that, that really bolstered their blue line. And, and I, don't, I don't think they've had the goaltender that Markstrom can provide since Kiprasov retired. So I thought those were two significant moves. Uh, you know, I understand when Brad Trey living, you know, last year when, uh, when uh, Jeff Ward took over, he did pretty well, you know, he committed to him in the summer, but I, I think it became to me uh, pretty clear that they needed a coaching change that the, the, the Jeff simply wasn't the answer for this team. Now was Jeff the problem? No. Was what was he? What, what what was some of the way they were playing creating problems for the team? Yes, and that's and that's under the coach's domain. I really believe, Josh, that a couple of years ago, after Calgary had won fifty games, and they got obliterated by the Colorado Avalanche in five games, that there was a lot of knee jerk reactions to 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 things that weren't problematic, and so now you go and sign James Neal. Why? Yeah. And then, and so, and, you know, instead of looking at where their team was at, I, I, I think they panicked based on five games. Panic might be a strong word, but I think they, they, there was knee jerk to, to five games. You know, look at what the Edmonton Oilers did last year after losing to, to the, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't good. But Ken Holland just said, let's hang on here a second. And, and remember, no cloth bomb, right? There was no cloth bomb. What can we do? Let's not overreact. Let's not think that what, what our problems and challenges are, are greater than they are. And I don't think the Calgary, they won 50 games. Yes. And I think they overreacted. I think they, it was a knee jerk reaction to a bad week. And I think that they got themselves into some challenges. I mean, you, you start bringing in players that can't skate. You start getting slower, you know, like uh, they, they've been trying to find a fit in their top six. And when I say top six, Michael Backlund's a third line center. Correct. Elias Lindholm is a terrific player who can play center, but he also was terrific with Monaghan and Goudreau. So, so now you, you either have a hole on the right side with Monaghan and Goudreau, or you have a hole in the second line center spot, right? Yep. You have Matthew Kachuk, who I love, and I think everybody loves, but the gaps are there. You're, you're trying to play players in spots that they're incapable of playing. Yes. And I think that that, that, that in and of itself was, was a big problem for them. And I, I think they became a team that was slower. And that to me was one of the biggest challenges. Colorado just put it to another level and they transitioned really well. And they took advantage. They just beat Calgary in that series. Yeah. And, and I don't think it was about big changes I think they, I think they became a slower team. I don't think they addressed the significant, like they addressed the goaltending in the right side defense last year, but they still haven't addressed, Some <laughs> you of know, the- that, for, that forward group. I, I think they're light up front. I think they're light in terms of fit. I think they're light in terms of the way they like, if you want to play heavy and cycle, 
And so now you're trying to clean up defensively and now you have a tough time scoring. And I think Daryl's trying to balance it out. I think the defense and giving up less chances was a real progression, but I think a lot of other areas came at the expense of that. And I think Daryl given more time, will find that balance, but I think they need, they need some uh, changes, uh, some additions up front as much as anything. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. So trying to get a little bit quicker, uh, yeah. you know, and if that comes with maybe adding someone with size that can, that has the speed or, you know, finding some smaller players, there are, you know, I don't know if Thomas Tatar is a name that maybe that, that, that would fit the bill for, you know, he's a, a UFA coming, coming up, but you know, that's a ways away. So we can figure that out down the road here, but uh, shifting gears to the Oilers, I was wrong on them pretty much all, all year, Craig. I, I, yeah, I, I know, I know. I had them right where you had them, so don't worry. But uh, so, and that's a, and that's what's a good thing is you admit when you're when you're wrong or whatever. But uh, you know, uh, but what what do you think went right for them this year? You know, obviously you kind of touched on it a bit there. Ken Holland didn't panic; he made the right moves. But you know, Mike Smith has been unreal this year, and that would maybe a player that Calgary might wanted to keep when things went bad because that brought them some character in their room and that's something that you know mike smith brings in the oilers locker room too yeah i don't think ken hitchcock told me that mike smith was a was a big was a big addition in terms of attitude and in terms of competitive attitude and so that alone helped their team like you know mike coming off of uh his season last year there was good there was bad the playoffs were not very good he has been brilliant this year brilliant yeah, I mean, I I think he deserves a lot. Like, he's not going to win the Vezina Trophy, but he he deserves Vezina consideration. He Correct. deserves votes in the Vezina, and I think he'll get those. So, number one, you know, Ken also had to look at not just this year, but also trying to balance out, you know, where they're going in in, in forward in, in years for in the future years, because you know you can go and sign. Let's just say you can go and sign Jacob Markstrom. But how is that, like, do you have the cap space and what's that going to mean going down the road? So Kenny sat down he, and, and him and Dave Tippett, you know, Dave knows Mike Smith really well. And, you know, so they, they just felt, okay, we can do it. Mike, we feel, I think that they are beyond surprised, pleasantly surprised about the level that Mike Smith played at. I don't think they were looking for this level of goaltending. They're happy to have it. I think they were just looking for steady, consistent goaltending from Mike. He's far exceeded that. And that's number one. Number two, Darnell Nurse stepping up and playing in, in, in those minutes, bigger minutes, harder minutes, more challenging minutes in the absence of Oscar Kleffbaum and performing just like brilliantly. I mean, yeah. he has been a huge part uh, of, of the success of that team. Tyson Berry, I would say the first two, three weeks were, were real significant growing pains for Tyson. And I really felt that he was going to have to kind of, I, I don't want to say figure it out, but he was going to have to find his way. Dave Tippett let him find his way. Yeah. Dave Tippett said to, like in my, said to Tyson, play your game, do the things you do well. And he didn't stifle him. Like in Toronto, Tyson Berry got stifled. He got boxed in, he got constrained and, you know, and then everybody's mad that, but Tyson just did exactly what he was told. And I think that once Dave kind of gave him the freedom to be who he was, it really, really, really helped Tyson. And those two guys on the blue line, because now everybody else just 
you know, Adam Larson's had a fantastic season, fantastic in terms of that role, but he hasn't been asked to do more. Then you go down, I mean, 97 and 29 are, are, are all planet players. Okay. That they are. So, but you know, being able to get some real good, strong contributions deeper down the forward group, not just in goals, in really good, solid play. You know, Josh Archibald has been a really good player for them. Uh, Kyra has been a really good player. For, in, in roles that are really important, penalty killing, third line center, it gives, it gives Dave Tippett an opportunity to move players in and around the lineup a little bit. And I mean, he had Drysaddle play with McDavid. Then he then he's got the luxury of playing McDavid and and Drysaddle separately from one another. And 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 I think he was afforded the opportunity in different ways to to utilize his players because of the way they were playing in in different areas. Alex Shaysaw, he can play on the power play, but he's not going to play top six minutes. Yeah. So you know, but but he was contributing. Josh Archibald contributing. Kara contributing. You know, those like Devin, yeah, yeah Pooley RV coming back, Devin Shore, right? Like yep. it, it just gave them like, you know, Pooley RV, that, that, that bigger body to play with McDavid, right? You know, Devin Shore, you can play him all through the different lineup. He's been really good. Kara taking a big step up. So you put all this together. You, you, you already knew you had McDavid and Dreisaitl. We had them last year. Yes. But it was all these other parts that needed to come together. I think it eased the burden on Connor Mc. Connor McDavid's great, we know that. Yeah. But I think that it allowed him to just be even greater because the burden was lifted off of him to an extent. Yeah, they got the support scoring that has been yeah. lacking in their lineup for a long time, and now yeah. on the radio waves here, you know, uh, you know, Stoffer and others are you know looking at wanting to resign it uh, sure because how good of a fit that was you know not over by on that but you know bring them back for what you probably got them on the same term this year and well, it's going to be interesting with Ryan Nugent Hopkins I, like R Ryan could go make a case for more money I, mm -hmm. I, nobody's going to say that he can't get more money or that he's not worthy of more money but if Ryan wants a lot more money he's going to end up on a bad team yeah, he, and that's a decision that Ryan's going to have to make. That where do I want to be? You know, what where am I at in my career? You know, what what's important to me, right? And I, Ryan's a competitor. I'm not, but I'm just saying, like Taylor Hall, if you want if you want this level of money, you're going to end up on a bad team. Correct. Yeah. So that's and with a flat cap, it would be different if it wasn't a flat cap, perhaps. Yes. But the teams that can afford Ryan Nugent Hopkins at at a dollar. That, that, that would be justified him asking for. And I'm not trying to say he doesn't just, so he's going to end up on a bad team. Yeah. So would you say five years, $5.6 million for, for Ryan Nugent Hopkins is the, is the right term? I don't know if it's 5.6. I hate to say, I hate to say, you know, what the number is term wise. I think term is as important as, as dollars. You know, Ryan is going to be 28 years old. Uh, if I recall, yeah, he's, he's the 1993 born. Yeah. So he's 28 years, he's 28 years old this year, right? So four years takes him to 32. I can guarantee you that Ryan at 32 is not going to be as good as Ryan at 28. That's just, I shouldn't say guarantee. I can pretty much assure you. Yeah. So, so, you know, you start to get into five years, six years. I get the players want security. Like if it's me, there's no way I'm not like, unless the number, the dollar number is just something you go, okay, I can live with. Uh, that term, but it's going to be at this dollar, right? 
But, you know, Ryan's coming off of $6 million a year. I don't think in the climate of the NHL that six and a half million a year uh, on, on, on a four-year deal is, is anything that would be uh, uh, short. Yeah. Like I said, can Ryan make a case for seven and a half? I think he can. And I, I, I wouldn't begrudge him that. Yeah. But I don't think it can be an Edmonton at that dollar. No, no, exactly. So we'll shift gears to the Winnipeg Jets. They've lost nine of their last 10. It looks like the, the Jets and the others will play in the first round. What is going wrong in Winnipeg? What are you seeing is the reason that they just haven't been that good the last little 10, the 10 games here? Obviously, Ehlers is out and they've had Lowry was out, but he's obviously back now. But where, where do you see things going wrong there? And what, what what's an easy fix to change in that around? Well, uh, I'd love to tell you there's easy fixes. Coaches are spending inordinate amounts of time <laughs> trying to figure out that exact question. So I, I like, you know, and, and, and they do like, uh, Anyway, I think there's a couple of issues with the with the uh, Winnipeg Jets. They have a lot of offensive skill. In, in, in the way that the divisions have been constructed this year with the play, it gives teams a really good opportunity to see what your strengths are and a real good opportunity to try to take away those strengths. They are a very gifted offensive team with a lot of firepower up front. And I think teams have adjusted. I, I think the Winnipeg Jets have become a massively predictable offensive team. They want to try to kick it to the flanks. You know, they don't hunt the puck enough around the net and, and they're relying on a lot of skill off the rush and then off the flanks, you know, in, in the offensive zone, kick it low, kick it high, kick it wide, shoot. And when you have the skill of a Shifley and a Wheeler and a Connor and an Ehlers, you know, you're going to be able to, but when teams start to take that away from you, now what, now what? And, and I use, I use the example of football, Josh, you know, when things aren't working, football coaches adjust. They don't keep saying, I find hockey coaches as a general rule, just play the system. The system isn't working, folks. Don't keep telling players to play the system when it's not working. I think they become massively predictable offensively. That's number one. Number two, they give up lots of quality chances against. They have Connor Hellebuck who cleans up a lot of it. He's been, he's, he's obviously the Vezina Trophy winner last year. So now you have a goaltender cleaning up a lot of the defensive holes. You have an offense that can score. Like, and so now you end up on the right side. Well, now you're predictable offensively. Teams are checking you. Now your goaltender isn't playing at the same level because he's feeling the burden. Well, guess what? Now you're on the wrong side of games. Yeah. Now, and, and, and until, you, until those things get corrected, you're going to end up being short in the goal scoring department, either because you can't score enough because you're predictable, right? And now because you're not defending as well, and you never have, but your goaltender isn't that isn't at the same level, and he's still good. Not not now. Guess what? You 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 give up one more, you score one less, and you're too short every game. Yeah, that's where the Winnipeg Jets find themselves. I think the first thing they got to do is, is try to change their approach to how they attack offensively and, 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 and adjustments. It's not about play the system and we know we have the skill. It's about giving them the tools and giving them different options to, to use their tools. And I think they got to try to find a way to be tighter in, in terms of uh, their defensive play. That also is neutral zone play and top of kind of inside the blue line. You can't give away the puck. You know, Nils Hoaglander scores the first goal of the game last night for Vancouver. When you hire a contractor, 
You want things to go smooth. Smooth as a driveway poured by Pete's Concrete. You want a solid guarantee. Solid as a basement floor by Pete's Concrete. You want Pete. Pete's Concrete. For sidewalks, patios, your leaky basement, Pete lays his reputation down with every job, and he offers you finishes and colors you won't find anywhere else. You want someone who proudly puts their name on the work they do. Pete puts his name in concrete. Pete's Concrete. The Two Months Podcast is sponsored by Freebar. Freebar is arguably the best tasting allergy safe energy bar. Check out Freebar and experience allergy freedom when traveling the wild. Go to freebar.ca and use promo code Two Months at checkout. Any questions and want to learn more about Freebar, email Luke at freebar.ca. Tell them the Two Months Podcast sent you. Freebar is Peanut-free, nut-free, dairy-free, egg-free, soy-free, and gluten-free. Five grams of protein in each serving. It's Hey, Nola tries to make a play. It's the wrong play. Yeah. Playoffs will punish you for making the wrong play. Yeah. And so they got to – so three areas, you got to be really disciplined in your approach to play it. You got to give up, you know, less opportunities in front of Hellebuck and let him do what he can do and do well. And offensively, they got to – they, they, they gotta they gotta come up with uh, n- not a completely different plan just different plans to take advantage of their skill some little tweaks here and there so do you are you worried about them in the playoffs then do you think maybe once they get to the playoffs it's kind of a fresh slate obviously the way they would attack is still going to be the same you know but is there well if they attack the same in the playoffs and they're playing the Edmonton Oilers they're, they're, they're going nowhere yeah they're going nowhere if you want to just keep, if you think just because the regular season ends and now you have a fresh slate because the playoffs have opened and you flip a switch, the flip the switch philosophy, it, it doesn't apply. It, yeah. it, it, it doesn't. If you don't have things in order going into the playoffs, you don't get them order when the playoffs start. And the Winnipeg Jets have some things to get in order. They do. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so we'll, we'll shift gears. Obviously, it's a little bit of late news, but, um, you know, with what happened in New York with the Rangers, um, thoughts of, you know, the Wilson incident on the Monday, then the fallout, uh, the next day with the firing, and then obviously the co- the, the game itself where we saw, you know, six fights, six fights in the first six minutes or five minutes of that game. So I know it's a loaded question, but I guess we can start from the Wilson part first. I, I, I said it last week. Uh, I think the NHL Department of Player Safety missed. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was a player that uh, ended up on a rampage. And he, he, he it, it was a steady progression of him losing control. To me, that's not hockey. It's not hockey play. It was dangerous. It was reckless. And uh, certainly precedent with Tom Wilson. So I, I absolutely feel that it mer- that it warranted a suspension, and you know, and you know, you go from it, it, and again, I I used the the suspension video, the language from the suspension video where he got seven games. It was the totality of the actions. It wasn't just the, what he was doing to Busnevich or or what he was doing in the scrum or when he grabbed Panarin and threw him. To, it was the totality of the actions that to me warranted a suspension. Okay. So they didn't do it. Right. So then we end up with the, and I, I think it was just coincidental. I don't think that the New York Rangers uh, were 
uh, were fair at all in saying that it was dereliction of duty by George Peros or he's unfit for the job. You can disagree with a ruling and you can disagree with a, but to suggest that it was dereliction of duty, that was an assault on George Peros's character. And that was completely out of line. I, I, quite frankly, I don't know what the, but I, I would, I would have fined them a lot more money than that, you know, because yeah. I, I, I thought that was a, a real, real significant attack on George Peros's character, like completely uncalled for. The changes with John Davidson and Jeff Gordon, I think, were coincidental. I think that uh, that was well in the works. Uh, I think that James Dolan, the owner, was very clear about like he, he he's been frustrated with the rebuild and everything. Keep in mind, it's only three years ago that they sent out the letter saying that where where we're going to go. So, you know, that's the 2018 draft. So now you're now if you're drafting kids at 18, now you're 2020. That, that now they're 20. Like Keandre Miller, Alexi Lafreniere, Capo Caco, Adam Fox, they're all young kids. Yes. And so to just expect that because you want the rebuild to be faster or you expect it to be further along, doesn't mean it is. You got to recognize where you're at in the cycle. And I think that it was, uh, you know, obviously James Dolan uh, didn't feel that they needed to be where they are. I personally don't believe that that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Uh, so you know that, but the owners, the owners, you know, they're, they, they have the rationale for it. And, you know, I think that the New York Rangers are in a good place. I think they have lots of good young talent now going to the game on Wednesday night, you know uh, you know, I, I have no issue with the team standing up for itself. Uh, I, I think that the Rangers, you know, felt that uh, they were let down by the league. We heard Ryan Strom talk about it. We heard others, David Quinn talk about it. And, so they were ready to stand up for themselves. I also believe that, uh, and this was a term somebody said to me, that Mark Messier put a quarter into the into the into the vending machine too. Yeah. By challenging how tough they were. So you know you got you got a revered player in the NHL, a revered captain of the New York Rangers. You know, putting his deposit in. You know, it didn't surprise me one bit that the Rangers responded the way they did. And, you know, again, I've never, ever questioned a team or players for standing up for themselves. You know, we have rules and we have uh, the Department of Player Safety that can deal with anything that's excessive. But all in all, no problem whatsoever with, with the players saying, hey, we're going to take this into our own hands and this is what we're going to do. Yeah. I have no issues with it. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. It's uh you know, you can't you can't attack George Peros. I know he's gotten a lot of of you know a, a, a hate and attack, and we know how you know Twitter can be at times, and, and, and it it is what it is. But uh, what know. do you mean? Isn't Twitter kind and like <laughs> complimentary <laughs> and like thoughtful, <laughs> forgiving? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll shift gears to the kind of the coaching uh carousel that's kind of happened towards the end of the year here and you know not everyone's done so we'll probably see more changes but uh rick talkett not going back to the arizona coyotes obviously you, you bring in a new general manager in bill armstrong who probably wants to you know bring in his own his own coach and he inherited talkett so where do you think rick goes he has a lot of options i think he's a good coach but where do you think things things go for him uh, going forward here well you know like it's always interesting to me when coaches, you know, get uh, uh, replaced, relieved, fired, or when they part ways. I mean, yeah. that seems to be the new, <laughs> the new community. Oh, yeah. we've decided to part ways. It's like Bill and Melinda Gates. 
we've decided to go in our own direction. We can't grow together. And okay, gotcha. Anyway, all kidding aside, you know, Bruce Boudreau and Gerard Glant, two really good coaches. You know, last year I heard that they were going to have jobs real quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of good coaches uh, that uh, don't have jobs. And so I think the, the suggestion that they're going to have a job uh, real quick, Mike Babcock. I mean, we're, we're talking about really good coaches here that, uh, you know, that, that, that haven't had jobs. Does that mean they're not good coaches? No. I, I, I think it comes straight down to, you know, what, what does, you know, one of the things that a coach, Gerard Gallant, Mike Babcock, uh, Bruce Boudreau, now uh, 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 John Tortorella, yeah. everybody, like you, you have a really good sense of what they can bring to your team. So now who's looking like, what are you looking for in your team? What are you looking for? You know what that coach offers. You, you say, okay, I know what we're going to get from this coach. And I know what we're going to get from this coach. What does our team need? I, I, I know when the Washington Capitals went through uh, their search, you know, and ended up falling on Peter Laviolette, they interviewed a lot of, a lot of good coaches. And they felt that Peter was the best choice for what they were looking for. It wasn't that the other guys weren't. It just that's the decision and that's how i feel it'll be with rick i think that's how it'll be with john tortorella i think it, it, it's still ongoing with mike babcock it's still ongoing with bruce boudreau and gerard gallant and you know Cole julian's out there you know yeah. like just think of the six coaches i just named. like that's, they're all crazy. out of work and it's not like and everybody says oh they'll have lots of options Will they? <laughs> Will yeah. they? I'm not, it's not that they're not good. It's not that they're not deserving. It's just that those options aren't as many and as plentiful as people think. And fit is a big part of it. And so wh wherever that fit can, uh, can uh, you know, where people find the fit, you get hired. Alain Vigneault, he, he, he was out for a little while. Chuck Fletcher goes, he's a fit right here for me. And so you, you, you carry forth in that regard and, and, and then you make your decisions. So, uh, it, 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 I say this all the time. There's more quality coaches than there's coaching jobs available. Yeah, no, exactly. And what do you think the, with Rod Brendamore, what, what's your thoughts on the work that he's done with the Carolina Hurricanes this year, who I think are a great team. And every year, those guys, this kid, the younger kids get better and better and better. So thoughts on him and obviously him staying, staying put there. Tremendous. I, I, th I think Rod has... I think Rod is, has done a tremendous job as a coach. And, you know, we can look at the team and we can look and say, oh, geez, this is what they've done and how they've done. But I, I think also to understand uh, how the team has done is understanding who Rod is. And Rod has always been about the team. Rod has all, what can we all do to the best of our abilities to make the team that much stronger? Rod never, ever left anything short when he was playing for any team that he was participating on, never. And he, he understands, you know, how to, how to value players, how to, how to value the contributions, big, small, indifferent, and, and, and make everybody feel part of it because Rod was about all of that. I think the other thing too is, you know, he's proved himself, but, but Rod also knows too. It's funny when I, when I hear, oh, Rod would be a top free agent. Like why would Rod stay in Carolina for potentially less than market value? Well, I'm not going to speak for Rod. Rod has significant ties to the Carolina organization. That matters. Yeah. Rod also says, I put in a lot of time here and I really like this team. And I really like where I work. That matters. 
Number three, number three he, he's got assistant coaches that he really values, and he wants to make sure that, okay, maybe that, uh, you know, everybody wants to talk about what market value is, but maybe, okay, I might not get what other people think I should get or whatnot, but I'm going to make sure that my assistant coaches who are incredibly valuable to me are going to be paid commensurate with their contributions. And I think Tom Dundon is exactly the same way. What are you contributing to the on-ice success? That's how Rod looks at it. So when I, so does Rod want to leave somewhere that he loves? Does he want to leave somewhere that he's invested in? Does he want to leave somewhere where he's got really good people around to go someplace? He's got to start anew just for more money. Like I, I think Rod, you, you know, whatever the compensation is, you know, I, I like, I hope he, 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 he gets something that makes him really happy and really makes him satisfied. But what drives Rod Brindamore is more than just money no. and just more than just having, oh, I'm this paid or this paid. It's about, I got a chance to win and I got a chance to win with this group, with this, with, with these people. That's what drives Rod Brindamore. Yeah. And I can't think of a, of a, I think he's done a phenomenal job with the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, I, I agree too. What are your, what are your thoughts on Tom Dundon as an owner? You know, you know, you've worked in this industry for such a long time and you've, you know, worked with owners uh, closely. Um, I know I'm not saying you've, and you've worked with Tom Dundon, Tom Dundon, but what's your thoughts on him, of what you do know about him as a, as an owner? I think he's really learned, you know, you come in, I mean, he's, he's, he's a massively successful uh, uh, businessman, you know, for, from a different business. He gets involved in hockey and he wants to apply, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the practices and principles that made him successful as a businessman. But, you know, a lot of the things that, that work in one industry or one business, you know, have to be adjusted or different in another industry. Tom came in and he really wanted to establish, Hey, you know what, we're not just going, I'm just not going to do things because people tell me that's the way I got to do things. So that was met with, you know, some criticism early on. It was met with some, how can you do this? Who does he think he is? And they spend to the cap, you know, he, yep. he makes decisions that are based on performance and who's driving my performance and who's driving the on-ice success. He goes, because on-ice success is what drives the business. And so when I talk about, you know, the understanding, like, and, and you can tell, uh, people before they get into a business, hey, this is what you can expect, but you need to get into it. You need to feel it and, 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 and see how it works and try to understand it better. I, I think Tom Dundon has done a fantastic job of, of understanding. I, I know what my core beliefs are and I know what my principles are, but at the same time, adjusting them for this new industry. Yeah. And it's no accident. It all starts at the top, Josh. And it's, I don't think it's any accident that the Carolina Hurricanes have been so successful from the time Tom Dundon took over. And that's not taken away from anybody else. It was new ownership, new, new ideas. And Rod Brindamore has been successful. The young players have been successful. It's no accident. No. It's all hand in hand. And so when you ask me about Tom Dundon, I think it's come with an ongoing understanding of being true to what I believe in and applying it to this business. That's why he was successful previously. That's why he's successful now. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. I, 
you know, we, I don't think they get enough play. And I know yeah. we're here in Canada and sometimes <laughs> we, we forget about them. And, you know, I've tried lately every podcast notes I do. I make sure I get them in there to to give them the, the respect and the due that they have. Because I think the, the season that they've had and they're just a fun team to watch in my yeah. opinion, too. They're a really young team and really fast and an upcoming team, too. And I think this year they'll do some damage in the playoffs. So final one, we'll hit on the Leafs, you know, our Leafs segment here. <laughs> so is for exactly <laughs> uh, as people that can't can't are listening craig just rolled his eyes in a great way so they can't see the visual of it but uh so thoughts on you know freddie anderson he's you know did his couple of conditioning stints here but keith yesterday said he's not healthy to play in the nhl yet is is freddie anderson gonna be playing game one for the leafs in the playoffs this year absolutely not yeah. and uh you know I mean, they got salary cap complications in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I mean, so he's not cleared to play. And I, I think if he was cleared to play, they wouldn't make, they wouldn't have room for him to play. Like, I think that that would be, and you got to be careful when you're using long-term injury reserve <laughs> yeah. to say a player and the league and everybody's paying attention. Cause if you come out and say, Oh yeah, he's cleared to play. Well, you, you got to clear him to play. Yeah. You can't yeah. keep using long-term injury reserve. So there's a little bit of uh of uh, uh, salary cap gamesmanship going on. And, and, that, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way it is. But Jack Campbell's their number one goal. Yeah. There's no question about it. And uh, uh, I, I don't think it's just about this year. I think that going into the playoffs uh, and based on what, where Freddie's been the last 18 months that, you know, this is a decision that the Toronto Maple Leafs are more than comfortable making, putting Jack Campbell in there. Do you have to, does Freddie have to stay in a state of readiness? Yeah, he does. Yeah, no question he does. And do the Toronto Maple Leafs want him in a state of readiness? No question. Jack Campbell is their number one goalie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In uh, quick thoughts on the Leafs season this year, Austin Matthews, 40 goals. Not one of those was an empty netter. Just, uh, you know, another great year in my opinion. And he keeps on getting better. But just overall, I, I think the year has been a pretty big success but let's see what they can do in the playoffs here is kind of where things are at now but thoughts on their season of what you saw terrific and i think kyle dubas has done some really really strong work and you know it, you know what it, it's hard to acquire skill and certainly the toronto maple leafs have had a lot of skill and everybody would like more skill rather than less skill it's never about that and i think people get talking and discussing it. Oh, they have, they don't have enough grit or they listen, if, if you can have more skill than everybody else in abundance, sign me up. The salary cap prevents you from, from being able to do that. And I think that Kyle, you know, and, and you got to go back. I, I, I think, you know, because it hasn't been in one big chunk. It's been in different acquire Jake Muzzin. That's a really good acquisition. It's a different type of player that ha helps her team. Patience with Justin Hall, you know, being able to, you know, allow him to grow in, in the minors. You know, he was really patient a couple of years ago when he didn't play, when did he play a dozen games or 10 yeah. games uh, out of the season. And, you know, and you look at that second pair now, that's a really, really good second pair. You know, you, you look at the acquisition of TJ Brody. I think TJ Brody's been a perfect compliment for Morgan Riley. I think it's eased the burden on, on Morgan Riley. You know, you start to look at, you know, the acquisitions at the deadline. You know, Nick Foligno. I don't, they didn't need more skill. They needed players like Nick Foligno. And I think when you hear Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and John Tavares talk about Nick Foligno, 
That's what matters. Yeah. He, he, he addressed that. You know, I think that Sheldon Keefe coming in and working with different parts of the lineup, experimenting, seeing what can work, seeing who can fulfill a role. Don't underestimate the addition of Riley Nash. He's a really good competitive player that's going to make life difficult for opponents. You bring in Joe Thornton, you bring in Wayne Simmons, Jason Spetz has been terrific, right? But even just when the players talk about the mood of the team, like a player like Joe Thornton can just lower stress levels. Don't yeah. worry, guys, it's no big deal, right? Because the players do feel stress, but a guy like Joe comes in. So all these moves that Kyle has done, I, I, I think have positioned the Toronto Maple Leafs as a serious Stanley Cup contender. Yeah. People say the North Division, really? Like I watch the league and I watch teams all through the league. Lots of teams have, there's no perfect team out there. No. Every team has, 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 a, has, a, has a weakness that can be exploited. Is there a team that can do it? it? You know, the matchups might dictate that they never get confronted with that weakness. But I see the Toronto Maple Leafs as a, as a serious Stanley Cup contender. And I don't think they would be there without the, without the moves that Kyle Dubas has done. Yeah, Matthews and Nylander and Marner and Tavares like the, and Morgan Riley. Yeah, they're all good players. But it, it's building a team. And I think that Kyle has done a terrific job with it. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll end on that note. We appreciate you joining us again. You've always been great to us here at the Two Muds Podcast. So I can't thank you enough. And you are the best in the business in my opinion. So I, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Always my pleasure to join you. It really yeah. is. I really enjoy talking, talking the game and talking the, the issues in the game and just talking about the players and all, all the great things. Playoffs are going to be exciting. Yeah, they are. They are. So we'll uh, we'll definitely get you on during the playoffs here again. So all the best to you and your family here and have a great summer and we'll keep in touch, Craig. Thanks again. Same to you. Thank you. If it's done right the first time, you don't have to redo it. If you get Pete's concrete to pour your driveway, you don't need a repeat. When your patio is a PDO, you don't need a repeat. When Pete's concrete fixes your sidewalk, all it takes is once. You don't need a repeat. And if your basement leaks, a Pete's repair helps avoid a repeat. Get it done right the first time with the colors and textures you want so you don't have to redo it. For concrete, you can choose Pete's or repeats. Pete's Concrete.